Hello, this is Jesse Weiler for Adoramus Bulletin. On this episode, we speak with John Grondowski, who recently wrote an article titled The Mass and Broadcast Media, a Post-COVID Postmortem. John Grondowski was former Associate Dean of the School of Theology, Seton Hall University, South Orange, New Jersey. So without further ado, another Adoramus interview. Hi, John. How are you doing? Very good. Thank you for providing the opportunity to uh, speak with Adoramus readers. Wonderful. You know, this is a really great article that you wrote for Adoramus, and I'm just wondering, where did the idea for this come from? Well, the question came actually from Adoramus. Chris Chris Karstens wrote to me and said, did you ever think about um, uh, the question of the mass and TV and online uh, presentation of the liturgy. And I think by now he has realized that when he asks me questions that like, did I ever think about it? He's likely to get an email that will print several pages. So it, that in fact was, did I think about this? Let me tell you what I think of it. And uh, and he said, okay, can we use this as an article? Said, okay, we'll polish it up a little bit. Uh, I began the, uh, as I said, I began the idea a long time ago uh, when I was the associate dean at uh, Seton Hall's School of Theology. And uh, uh, we had... A, we were in the search for a professor of homiletics. And this was in the middle 1990s. And at that point, I said, look, if we're going to hire somebody to teach homiletics, it should also be somebody who can deal with media, who is comfortable in front of a microphone, in front of a television camera, uh, in front of something back then called the internet, uh, and is able to use it. Uh, and so those were the parameters that we put in our advertisement for the position. And as I said, uh, it sounds almost like a, the beginning of a joke, but I got, you know, six ministers, two rabbis and a priest applying for the position. Um, and I soon realized that, you know, out of all those religious communities, the Catholic Church was by far the least prepared to deal with a presence in the mass media. I think that kind of continued in some sense because there was no pressure for it. I mean, the the televising of the mass or radio masses was a kind of carved niche largely for shut-ins. And then when 2020 came around and the COVID pandemic uh, resulted in the closure of parishes and, and people wanting somehow to stay religiously connected, at least online, I think we discovered the various complications which uh, uh, our lack of preparation in the media and social uh, media fields uh, became glaringly apparent. Uh, and, and that together with, with other trends in religious practice um, raised the issues that, that the, the closure of churches for over a year um, causes, I think, to see and, and hopefully to you know take account of today. So in the article, you talk about in 1996, the USCCB issued guidelines for televising the liturgy. How did this uh, make its way to the masses that we had during the pandemic or, or even now? Did anything change? 
Well, honestly, we really don't have very many guidelines, and the guidelines that we have are not really adequate to the uh, to the needs. Uh, I was not even aware of the fact that the bishops had written some sort of a document back in the 1990s, which uh, Chris Carson sent to me. Um, that document is is really not adequate from a variety of uh, of angles. Most basically because it's you know in in emphasizing the liturgy and as it should properly emphasize the liturgy, uh, it takes almost the liturgy completely independently of the constraints that uh, putting it in a broadcast medium compels. Uh, it, all, it, it prefers to have a live mass, which is simply passively televised. Uh, and that was not what we were dealing with in the period of, of COVID. Uh, we were dealing with masses either that were recorded or masses that you know, had to be compressed within a particular time allotment. And the guidelines don't really address that. Uh, and subsequently to writing that article, I've also uh, begun looking at how we might expand on it uh, again with some of Chris's suggestions. And there are whole enormous gaps, I think, that, that, that need to be addressed. I approached the Canadian Bishops' Conference, the Australian Bishops' Conference, the English-Welsh and the Scotch conferences, and all of them basically looked at me like, yeah, we never talked about this either. Uh, and, you know, a whole range of things. For example, if you are broadcasting uh, on social media, do you have copyright issues connected with music? Um, how are you going to fit uh, the mass within a, a scheduled period of time? Uh, to my surprise, one of the conferences, I don't remember which one it was, raised the issue. Well, if you are doing this in a parish and you are in a country with strong data uh, privacy and, and personal privacy protections, uh, are you going to get uh, uh, disclaimers and releases from every face that shows up on your screen? So uh, there's a lot of issues in the law and the practice of mass media that our regulations haven't addressed and our regulations presuppose that uh, each mass is almost like a news event that can go as long as it takes and, uh, um, and the media will be there available uh, to cover it. And from both sides, I think that is a bit unrealistic. And, and going back in the discussion on this issue, uh, to the 1960s and 70s when people first began talking about uh, putting the mass on television. There's even a, a very interesting discussion that I don't think was ever fully or satisfactorily resolved as to whether or not even putting the mass on television was appropriate. If we took, if we treat the liturgy as these uh, sacred and secret rites of the church, then is it almost a kind of uh, intrusion into an intimate space to uh, 
to televise them and, and have them available at record, replay, on demand, etc. Uh, all of which are, are features that didn't exist uh, even you know when those first discussions occurred. So I think in, in a lot of ways we discovered that our preparation to deal with these questions is somewhat in its infancy. So with all that being said, you know, of course we, we keep referencing the pandemic here, but why do you think people made the decision afterwards when they could go to mass again when it was safe? to continue watching mass televised uh, what is there something behind that well i i think of a variety of, of reasons and, and i touched some of them in the article i think one of them is an almost a certain sense of gnosticism that uh, uh, or dualism that penetrates our society uh, an idea that somehow uh, embodiment or physicality is a uh, is a dispensable or optional extra and and that's certainly almost suicidal for a faith that is sacramental um, you know let's look at our current generation uh, our, our current generation talks about having 10,000 friends none of whom they've ever met none of whom they've ever touched their hands to uh, you know, we, we have become so accustomed to, quote, virtual reality that real reality doesn't uh, thrill us anymore or, 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 you know, we find it just as, as easily interchangeable. Uh, that and I think uh, the, the whole tendency of a weakening of religious awareness that we see in the phenomenon of non- uh, non-affiliated, especially non-affiliated young people today, I think builds this um, this uh, this practice. Another is that uh, I think that we have also suffered a great degree of confusion in the in the uh, field of sacramental theology. Um, there's been a tendency to forget that the sacraments, in fact, cause what they signify and are not just celebrations of something that supposedly has already happened in which case then you know you have to ask the nasty question then why do we need the sacrament uh and i think that became quite apparent in in these uh televised masses well you know if if our connection with god is spiritual then you know Aren't I getting it spiritually via the megabytes that are streaming as, as opposed to being uh, in church? And, and so uh, uh, especially when we've, we're still grappling with the fact that the bishops are conducting this, this effort to reinvigorate Eucharistic theology and Eucharistic uh, awareness of the real presence, I think all these things come together and, and worked to undermine uh, exactly what this whole practice was intended to bolster. You kind of took my next question from me a little bit, or I guess uh, foreshadowing here, but, you know, we're in this Eucharistic revival period for the church here. And I got to say, you know, that's the biggest draw to attend mass in the person in person. You, you can't receive the blessed sacrament through television. And so uh, is there something there, you know, we're starting to see this decline in understanding a real presence. Is that have anything to do with any of this? 
I think that element has, has in fact been lost. I mean, everybody goes back to the uh, to the Pew survey that said that uh, uh, you know something like three quarters of Catholics uh, had reduced the Eucharist to basically a some kind of a symbolic presence, whatever they understood that to mean, um, as opposed to the real presence of Christ. Um, and you know, while while I think there's been some some attempts to repair that effort, the fact that the televised masses served in a lot of people's minds to be quote good enough to uh, to uh, address the question of participation in the mass really raised the question then of you know what is it that we think is real about the Eucharist. As I mentioned in the article, one, one very small thing that I noticed that I think was particularly disturbing was the um, way in which many of the televised masses used the act of spiritual communion uh, during the period of time when those who were you know, present in the studio or in the church uh, were receiving communion. In the old traditional formulation of the act of spiritual communion, uh, the phrase was, since I cannot receive you now sacramentally, come at least spiritually into my heart. Uh, and oftentimes I heard that phrase at least dropped out. Uh, and I make that point because I think by, by omitting that we have created a kind of leveling between uh, real sacramental reception of the Eucharist and this, this kind of spiritual communion so that one and the other are really interchangeable. You know, years ago when people prayed the act of spiritual uh, communion, it was more of an awareness that because for some reason now I cannot go to communion, Therefore, I want at least to join the Lord in this way. Um, but as I said, in the intervening years uh, where there's been a weakening of not just the idea of the real presence, but the idea that the sacraments do things when we celebrate them and just simply do not uh, celebrate something that has happened. Uh, you know, this... this uh, leveling effect has occurred. Um, you know, there were a couple of books recently on sacramental theology. Romana Cesario published a book uh, this year. Uh, Jose Granados from at Catholic University published a book about two years ago, both of which argued that, you know, we have had a kind of anemic notion of sacramental theology in the past 40 or 50 years that has downplayed the notion that the sacraments actually do things and do not just simply celebrate things that have already been done to us and therefore are independent of, of the sacramental form and matter. Well, thank you for taking time to speak with us, John. It will be interesting to see, you know, what happens with the Eucharistic revival and televised masses uh, going forward. But, but what a wonderful breakdown here. Thank you.
Thank you so much. I appreciate it.